Welcome to the Druids Grove, where we discuss all things related to Druids, their history, current day practices, and how to build a deeper connection and relationship with the earth. I'm so glad you're here. If you find what I have to share helpful, please subscribe and share with others that may enjoy it, and check the show notes for more information. Come on in, relax for a bit, and I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Druids Grove. Uh, We're going to talk about the last physical sense that we use in our druidry, uh, and that is the sense of taste. So this is not due to the sense of taste being the least important or the least relevant in druidry, but it's probably the hardest to utilize in the natural world, out out in nature. Um, You know, we don't want to go around and put things that we encounter in the natural world into our mouths. Uh, This could be disastrous, of course, um, but there's lots of ways that you can experience the living natural world using your sense of taste. So we're going to start with the elements first, like we've done in the other episodes. Um, If we think of water, uh, water is one of the elements that we encounter most when using our sense of taste, but we may not think about it that way. Um, You know, of course, we have to stay hydrated to stay alive. Uh, We can go, you can go days or even weeks without food. Some people have done, you know, water and vitamin diets to for weight loss for a year um but you know i wouldn't encourage that of course but you can only live a few days without water um you know and oddly enough you know many many people say they don't like the taste of water um so a lot of people use different flavorings or or, or drink different thing drink different drinks to get hydrated because they don't like the the i guess basic taste of water so most people that say that probably are drinking water that has chemicals or chlorine in it or something, or, you know, maybe they just have a problem with, I don't know, their, their dopamine levels and they need to seek stimulus and they need, they need external pleasure to feel satisfied and satiated. They, you know, just a a glass of water is not enough for them. They need to have something else. So, you know, a lot of people depend on soda and coffee, tea, you know, energy drinks, whatever. Um, you know, for their hydration, you know, and I've heard the term uh, for like a lot of the energy drinks today. I've heard them called, uh, excuse my language, heard them called chemical shit storms. Uh, you know, just there's a lot of stuff in there besides water. You know, they have some vitamins and other things, but a lot of chemicals to attempt to make it palatable. So, you know, and of course, there's all kinds of different water, too, from, you know, like alkaline water, carbonated water, uh, water enhanced with electrolytes. Uh, or other enhancements. Um, we can look at the water in tea and coffee and soups and stews. Um, and of course, uh, water is the foundation for lots of foods that are also mostly water, like uh, fruit juices, uh, wines, other alcoholic drinks. Um, and looking back historically, I, didn't, I don't know if you know this, but uh, wine and ale or beer, um, they were more common to drink than just plain water, you know, thousands of hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, because the water was usually do, uh, usually deadly. It usually had a lot of bacteria and things in them. So, um, the processes used to make wine and, and beer or ale, uh, usually killed bacteria and made it possible to drink the water. It made it safer than just water by itself. You know, in addition to the water that we consume, we can also think of the water in our bodies. We can think of the water uh, in, our, in the saliva in our mouth that allows us to taste. Um, you know, water is a vessel to transmit things, but it's also 
uh, has chemicals that help to break down the food as soon as it enters our mouth and allows us to taste things. Um, we can think about the water in our digestive system that after we taste things that it helps to move things along uh, for us to digest them. You know, your entire digestive system is just one big long tube lubricated with water of different pH levels and other chemicals to help you break down and absorb the food. Um, and a lot of what we eat, we eat because we like the way it tastes. Um, you know, but also what about, what about the, the flavor of a raindrop? Or, you know, what does a snowflake taste like? Um, you know, it can be very relaxing to be outside in, a, in, in snow or in rain and just to look up and be grateful for what you're seeing and feeling and, and just open your mouth and stick out your tongue and just kind of taste a gift from the sky. I know that sounds weird, but, I mean, that's what we're doing. You know, and if we think of fire, uh, we can be thankful for uh, the element of fire in cooking our food and so that we can taste it. Uh, we have different uh, flavors associated with fire. So, you know, whether we're breaking down the kind of fibrous structure of vegetables uh, so we can get access to those nutrients and digest them or whether we're using fire to cook and kill the bacteria in food so we don't get sick. Um, or we can look at the the fire of the sun again and helping everything on earth grow and and we can taste those things plants and animals and everything that we consume because of the sun and its fire so of course we can see the element of fire in, in all the things that we can taste you know and there's also uh, people called fire eaters that you know do these shows uh, where they stick things on fire down their throat and i'm sure they taste something but i would not encourage you to do that but if you want to you know look into that go for it <laughs> um the element of air is something that's kind of tricky to look at in the sense of taste. Um, you know, maybe we can consider the air or oxygen necessary for us to live to be, even be able to taste, or all of the foods and animals that are able to live so that we can consume and taste them thanks to uh, the element of air. Without air, they wouldn't be here. Plants would not be here. Animals would not be here, and neither would we. Um, one difficult thing to kind of describe is the sense of taste as you're chewing. And I know this sounds weird, but if you if you chew with your mouth closed and then open your mouth and chew with the same food, just barely opening your mouth and breathing in air a little bit, this small amount of air kind of circulates the molecules of food around your mouth and into your nose, which further enhances your sense of taste. And, and in a strange way, you know, I know it's weird, we can taste smoke. We smell smoke, but if it gets in your mouth, you can also taste it. Um, and so if you think of a campfire or even if you burn something, you can taste the smoke in the air or taste the, the burnt food in your mouth without even taking a bite of the food just based on the, the chemicals floating around in the air. You can taste that. So then if we look at the element of earth, that's probably the easiest connection we can make to the sense of taste. Um, this is because all of our food comes from the earth. You know, we can taste the actual food like herbs and plants and vegetables and animals, of course, but um, ha have you ever tasted soil or dirt? Um, have you ever thought about, um, sure, we use salt. A lot of people put salt on their food, but, you know, there's different types of salt, uh, Himalayan sea salt or Celtic salt or, you know, whatever. So have you ever, one of these packages of salt, just take a crystal out and put a salt crystal on your tongue um, and just let it sit there and think about where it comes from and what the process was and how it was made and what it tastes like. Um, you know, what about, I know these are weird, but what about a piece of tree bark um, 
or a leaf. You know, have you ever tasted these things? Um, I mentioned before that the birch tree, it tastes like uh, mint. So I don't know if you ever got around to trying what I said before in a different episode. If you take a small twig of birch, a birch tree, just a little small twig, uh, you can crush the end of it or just use your teeth and crush it. Um, and you can use it as a toothbrush. Or some people will just put a little piece in their mouth and chew on it and and and, and let it let the flavor marinate in their mouth and move around. But it, it tastes very minty. It's like chewing gum without the the stretchy feeling of, of gum, but it fresh, it's like a, it freshens your breath. And one of my favorite things to do, uh, which I did earlier this week, I was outside walking uh, in a park, is those little green um, tall sprigs of wild onion. I don't know what they're called, but that's what I call them. The little green onions that grow on the ground, um, usually in the spring, but there's some out right now as well. Um, you know, I'll, I'll come across them and, and reach down and, and pluck a, a piece or two and, and crack it, you know, break it in half and smell it. And it smells so, so nice and just very fresh. And then, and then put it in my mouth and kind of chew on it a little bit. You know, if you're going to do that though, uh, you know, make sure you know what it is you're eating and make sure you're not in an area, uh, that's really common where people walk their dogs. You know, um, these things kind of stick up higher than grass and it can look like a very appealing place for a dog to, uh, go over to urinate to market's territory. So just be careful where you're at. <laughs> um, another thing that I've experimented with lately is um, different types of pine trees. Um, so there's different evergreens around where I live. And if you if you go up to these trees, you know, you can see that they look different. But, you know, taking one pine needle and plucking it off the tree, um, you know, break it in half and smell it and feel it. Um, and then and just... Touch, touch it to your tongue a little bit. And I wouldn't throw the whole thing in there and chew on it, but um, you can, of course, and I've done that. They're very bitter. But each pine tree has a little bit of a different taste to it. And, of course, you know, historically, there's many forms of old medicine across the world where people would take these pine needles and make teas out of them. And, you know, try it sometime. Just make sure that it's, it's you know what it is and that it's safe and, you know, if you're going to experiment with that. Um and of course, many people love gathering mushrooms. Uh, you know, these are tied to nature. Um, you know, the element of earth. But again, make sure you know what you're gathering. Um, they can be they can be poisonous. So you want to make sure that you don't get out there and eat the wrong type of mushroom, of course, because you know you could die. You don't, and you don't want to risk that. So um, whatever you know, whatever uh, raw natural element that you're looking for out there, just make sure that you know what it is, you do your research, and you're not putting yourself at risk. So, of course, we can look to the plant kingdom uh, to see how our sense of taste interacts with it. Uh, Many plants develop different flavors to entice animals to eat them. Um, And what this does is it helps these plants to have their seeds uh, to be consumed Uh, which then leads to propagation and production of more of these plants and the species uh, can continue because the animals will eat the 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 plant uh, the fruit of the plant and then digest it and then when they go you know around the local area and have bowel movements the seeds come out and then the plants can continue growing and we can also look at the color of the plants so uh, many of the the plants develop bright different colors to draw animals such as us in to eat them. And this occurs in fruits and vegetables. 
And then other other plants may develop um, kind of bitter tastes or tastes um, that are not appealing uh, to as kind of a, a defense mechanism, so they don't be uh, consumed. They so that they're not eaten. So we can also uh, look at um, animals. So we talked about plants. We can look to animals, um, and we can kind of consider different animals and how they taste. And if you are uh, vegetarian or vegan and this bothers you, I apologize um, if you want to skip forward a little bit. Um, but if we look at, for instance, a dry piece, a dry low-fat piece of chicken or beef or something like that, it, it doesn't taste as good to us as like a fatty piece of meat. Um, this is because our bodies need fat. Um, if we don't get fat, and, and yes, even saturated fat, uh, we will die. Um, so our, our, when we think about how our bodies are constructed and what our bodies are made out of, that's kind of a sign of the things, that's what, those are the things that we need to eat and to consume. And if we look back historically at ancestors, that's primarily when they could, that's what they would eat because they knew that's what their bodies needed. You know, fruits and vegetables and uh, grains weren't even in the picture ancestrally. Um, but, you know, fruits and vegetables, um, this, they, those things came about through uh, agriculture as a way to kind of sustain uh, large populations. But uh, historically, people primarily ate meat when they could get it. That's what they preferred. And the reason is because our bodies need protein and fat uh, and even saturated fat. You know, we are told by the medical community today that, you know, saturated, saturated fat is bad and you shouldn't eat it and you should try to limit it and all this stuff. But when we look at our bodies, every, every nerve cell in your body is composed of uh, saturated fat. And these, especially your brain, your brain is mostly saturated fat. And if we don't get this fat, then these nerve cells will degenerate. They will die. They cannot repair. They do not communicate with each other very well. So these, these neurons and these nerves throughout our body and all the cells in our body um, have uh, saturated fat lining the cells. And these need maintenance and they need to be repaired. Um, you know, as we... Uh, looking at our brains as we learn new things and, uh, you know, make new habits and uh, build knowledge. And, you know, you can think of a child developing. Um, as, as children are growing and their brains are growing, if, um, there's been a lot of research showing that children that don't get enough saturated fat in their diet, um, they have, like, lower IQ scores. They um, have problems with uh, social interactions, that kind of thing, um, because their brains are not able to develop the way they need to. And so this is a process called neurogenesis. It's nerve genesis or neuroadaptation. So um, when we are challenged, when we are learning and growing, our brains develop these new correct uh, connections. And in order to do that, they have to have a lot of fat to create these new nerves. And, you know, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but this, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this because culturally there are a lot of reasons why we are told to eat certain things and as druids you know we want to look at the the i guess the 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 nature behind us so rather than just listening to someone else tell you what you should eat or what's good for your body um, as druids we're able to step back and look at things from a logical perspective. We can look at the science. We can look at the interconnectedness between everything. We can look at the life cycle. We can we can 
develop an understanding of these things for ourselves rather than just blindly trusting other people. You know, if we look historically, we've talked about how uh, Druids were were kind of the scientists and, you know, uh, served many different functions in ancient times. And you can apply these principles today. So don't just blindly trust even me. If you don't believe what I'm saying, just go look it up. But I'm I've, I've done a lot of research into this because I'm very passionate about it. Um, but, you know, the, the whole myth about saturated fat being bad for us and, and being the cause of heart disease and all this stuff, this comes from studies that were done in the 1950s. And the scientists that, you know, quote, conducted these studies, they were paid off by the sugar industry to kind of uh, vilify saturated fat. And, and what that led to was a promotion of uh, sugar and carbohydrates as the main source of food. And so these, the scientists that were the main um, writers of this study, they, when they conducted their research and they were correlating heart disease with cholesterol intake, but what they did was they left out the, the populations that didn't fit their study and only published the ones uh, that did fit, uh, fit their study. And they were paid... Um, at, at that time, these scientists were each paid in the equivalents, uh, the equivalent of about fifty thousand dollars in today's money, uh, to come out and publish this study, and that's where all of these um, recommendations about following a low-fat, you know, low-saturated fat diet, and that you should get like sixty percent of your diet from carbohydrates. That's where this came from, and it's just kind of been going on, you know, for the past sixty to seventy years. And we can look back and. Um, we, we, there's a lot of reasons behind this, and of course I'm not, I don't want to go too in-depth about it, um, but it, like subsidizing farmers and uh, production of grains, and it's cheaper to feed people grains than it is to feed people uh, protein and fat from animals, which is what our bodies actually need. Um, you know, and I know you think, probably think I'm making all of this up, you know, but go check it out. Um, if the, 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 the true pathogenesis of uh, you know, cardiac disease and strokes and all this stuff is uh, systemic inflammation. And I'm like, again, I don't want to go too deep into this, but um, we get systemic inflammation in our bodies, and then the saturated fat that is in our bodies comes along and plugs up these inflamed areas and tries to help heal them. And if we are eating a lot of carbohydrates and a lot of grains, we are in a chronically inflamed state. So we can think of like type 2 diabetes, this kind of thing, metabolic syndrome. And what this does is if you have an inflamed state constantly, the saturated fat that you are eating can cause problems. But if your diet consists primarily of, you know, low inflammatory foods, you don't have systemic inflammation. So you're not going to have these problems. You're going to function very well and your body will get all the protein and fat that it needs. So again, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to listen to me. Just check it out. Um, but it's just very interesting to think about our ancestors. And my whole point about this is, you know, if we look at what our ancestors ate, they knew what was good for their bodies. And, and today we can look, fat tastes good. That's why we enjoy it. And the problem is that we also enjoy the taste of sugar and carbohydrates. They taste good. And, you know, well, we have to not just follow our sense of taste in this regard. We have to kind of use our brains and our logic and think about what does our body need? Are we eating because it tastes good or are we eating things because 
uh, that's what our body needs, you know. So we can look kind of scientifically at our bodies, you know. Um, sugary sweet things do serve a function, and they did historically because our ancestors, um, it, was a, it was a way for them to put on extra weight uh, at the end of summer and fall when all of the fruits were being produced. Um, you know, all of these fruits and vegetables were being produced naturally, and humans would go eat them to gain weight purposely um, so that they could last through the winter until spring when the, the animals started coming out and being more active and, and, and that kind of thing. So it, eating sweet, sugary things is a way to uh, get, get through the winter, basically. So, you know, when you're, when you're eating, think about what you're eating. Are you simply eating it because it, you're bored um, or because it tastes good or you want some kind of stimulation? Uh, is your body telling you sh- you should eat this? So if we think about our hunger cues and our taste buds, our body will tell us uh, what tastes good to us and what we should eat. And it will also tell us when to stop eating. You know, you may be imagine you're starving you're just like super hungry and what you start to eat tastes amazing however you know when you've had enough your body will tell you you know that it's time to stop because the food doesn't taste as good as when you started and and a problem with this is that sweet sugary carbohydrate rich foods are kind of the opposite of this um you know you can sit down uh, imagine if you have a two pound steak in front of you uh, are you going to eat that whole two pounds of steak? Probably not, because you eat to a certain point and your body says, okay, I've got enough nutrients, I'm good. But we are hardwired to want to pursue sweet and sugary foods because that's what sustained us through the winter. So historically, before grocery stores, you know, and before um, agricultural farming, you know, when we were hunter and gatherers just a few thousand years ago, or even a few hundred years ago in many places, um, we sought out sweet sugary foods because that was a way to put on fat and put on weight to sustain us. And if we look at kind of the biochemistry of the things that we eat, you know, people have this conception because they've been taught this, that eating fat makes you fat, which is one, is, is not the case at all. You know, and there's this theory of calories in versus calories out, and all you have to do is decrease your calories and you'll lose weight. You know, all of these things that we are told are not are not accurate because uh, we have to take into consideration hormones and other biochemical processes and all this stuff. So if you eat, for instance, let's just say, two thousand, you know, the standard 2,000-calorie diet, um, if you eat 2,000 calories of steak in a day versus 2,000 calories of cupcakes in a day, which one is going to make you gain more weight? And we think, yeah, if I if I eat all I eat is two thousand calories of cupcakes, I'm gonna feel bad and have these sugar levels that are up and down. My insulin levels are up and down. Uh, my body doesn't know what to do with that much sugar and carbohydrates, so it just stores it as fat. Where if I eat two thousand calories of steak, that's all protein and fat. So they both taste good, but they t- our brain gets different signals from these, and our brains um, just ancestrally know what to do with each you know carbohydrate versus protein versus fat and there's also been lots of studies um, that sugary foods um, when we eat sugary foods like i said the the purpose behind it genetically 
and ancestrally is to find these and consume them because they were sparse in nature and it was a way to put on fat. So what they do in your brain when you eat sugary carbohydrate rich foods, it stimulates the same area of the brain that uh, drugs do. So people that are, have a drug addiction problem, um, their dopamine receptors and the areas of their brain with reward and pleasure, they get stimulated when they use these drugs. And the problem is that sugar does the same thing and carbohydrate rich foods do the same thing. So we can think of, you can think of sugar as a drug. So yes, it tastes good. And, and the reason I'm talking about all this is because we're talking about using our sense of taste to experience nature. So we can experience nature, but we want to be kind of judicious with it. Um, you know, uh, a piece of chocolate cake with thick chocolate icing is not something that is in the natural world. Um, an apple is, uh, an orange is, but of course these things are seasonal. So we can look at it from that perspective as too. If we look at the wheel of the year, fruits and other carbohydrate rich things like squash and pumpkins, these kind of things, they are seasonal. So, you know, historically we did not have access to these things year round. Bread was something that was also, um, you know, seasonal. So we had to wait for the grains to grow and, you know, then we could harvest it and then we can make bread. And that's why there's these bread and harvest festivals in late summer and late fall, because that was the time of year that these things were available. And they taste good, so we eat them, you know, for two or three months, and then we stop, and then we have to go back to eating what would normally be eaten. The problem is, in our current day society, we have access to these things year-round. So, you know, as a druid, just think about your sense of taste, and think about what you're eating, <clears throat> excuse me, and why you're eating it. Um, are you bored? Are you just spiking your dopamine because it tastes good? So just, just try to think about these things. You know, and you can also look at your food and consider it. Um, you know, the food that you're eating, was it genetically modified for the sole purpose of making it bigger, making it a brighter color to look more appealing, make it, making it uh, to have a sweeter taste so that you want to consume more? And in today's world, this is likely true because farmers get paid, you know, they get paid per pound of how much product they're able to grow. So they genetically modify these things to have a bigger more attention-seeking, dopamine-spiking product. And this, in essence, has hijacked our sense of taste and hijacked our brains to purposely seek these things out, or even unconsciously. We just get so used to it. And, you know, we can look at... Um, we can look to the animals as well <clears throat> from the factory farming perspective. So, uh, wild game... So people that hunt deer or wild boar or birds, um, they have less body fat uh, than animals that are grown today for consumption. So, you know, like cows and pigs. And so the problem is these animals uh, that we generally consume are, they may be grass-fed, but you have to pay extra for something that is grass-finished. So there's grass-fed and then there's grass-finished. Uh, most animals today are grass-fed and then grain-finished. So they grow up eating out in, you know, eating grass, eating naturally, like cows or pigs or whatever would normally do. But towards the end of their life, uh, they are grain-fed. And the purpose, the reason they're grain-fed is because the grains put on more body fat in a much faster period of time. So 
that's how they make animals fatter so they weigh more so they get paid more and it costs more to allow an animal to be out in nature and just eating grass that's why grass-fed beef costs more because the animal they have to let it live longer so that it can be out and absorbing nutrients at its natural rate rather than force feeding it these high carbohydrate rich foods which make it gain more weight so we can look at these animals and kind of compare them to to us you know if we're if we're mammals we know that mammals that eat high grain diets are going to put on more body fat in a faster period of time so if you apply that to yourself what does that tell you that you should be eating you should probably not be eating a lot of grains and a lot of sugars and carbohydrates because you know they per- that's what they use to purposely make animals fat <clears throat> so we can use these analogies we can look to nature we can understand um, the, the processes of wild animals versus uh, farm-grown animals and, and, and look at that and apply it to ourselves and we can also look to the animals at different types of animals and we can look at their anatomy and their digestive system to see you know what kind of diet we should be eating and I know this is about taste this episode but that's why I'm talking about this because sometimes our sense of taste gets hijacked and and we need to as druids again take a step back and think logically about these things what's best for us what's best for the environment what's best for those around us what's going to make us healthier and happier and live longer so cows and other herbivores they typically have multiple stomachs and longer digestive tracts to break down vegetables and grains uh, to be able to get the, the limited number of nutrients out of them so we if we look at other animals like other animals that have a similar digestive system to us such as like wild cats and dogs and that kind of thing they are typically meat eaters and the, and we can look at our, our digestive system compared to theirs because we we both have uh, smaller stomachs so we're not meant to just gorge on grains and vegetables and just completely fill our stomachs up and we also and our stomachs are very acidic like wolves and cats and dogs and things like that because that that acid will break down meat so that we can absorb it much faster whereas these other animals that have multiple stomachs the herbivores um, they have multiple large stomachs uh, which allows extra time in the digestive system so it can break down the cellulose and the walls of those fibrous foods to get the nutrients out of those so we can look at the actual digestive system too Cows also have uh, longer, di- or, or herbivores generally have longer digestive tracts, like their their large and small intestines, than we do, for the same purpose to absorb the water and the nutrients out of it and all that stuff. Whereas humans have a relatively short digestive tract, because we we absorb this, we're as we eat meat, which is primarily what we should be eating, uh, our stomach breaks down the acid and then it's absorbed very quickly into the bloodstream and digested and then the waste is passed it on passed on and another problem with that um, with today's culture you know we're told to eat a lot of fiber and we're told this because of that debunked theory that um, you know we need to have low cholesterol and fiber if you eat fiber it lowers cholesterol it cleans out your digestive tract but when you think about this it doesn't make sense from a biochemical perspective or from a physiological perspective 
it doesn't it, it makes sense that that's what it does but it doesn't make sense that that's what how we're telling how they are telling us that we should be eating but the reason it lowers cholesterol it, is because fiber it's a bulk that pushes the food that you eat through your digestive tract faster and when it does that it's also blocking absorption of the nutrients that you did eat so the fiber takes up space and when it's taking up space along the wall of the intestine so if you think of your intestines like a tube um, it, the the walls of the intestine is where absorption occurs the foods that you eat and the nutrients you eat get absorbed there well if you're eating a lot of fiber in a high fiber diet it is in it's mixed in with that food and it's blocking access to the walls of the intestines so what it does is it blocks the food that you eat and the nutrients that you want they can't touch the walls of your intestines to be absorbed because this fire fiber is pushing it through very quickly and it is it's it's just taking up space and and blocking the wall so when you think about it fiber is actually an anti-nutrient it it blocks cholesterol because it moves things through so fast and blocks absorption so it's also anti-nutrient because it's doing the same thing so if you eat um, a lot of foods that some food that's very full of nutrients and antioxidants and blah 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 whatever if you have a lot of fiber with it it's going to block absorption of that so it's an anti-nutrient so it literally prevents you from absorbing the food that you eat <clears throat> and people that have digestive issues um, so we can look at like Crohn's or IBS and I'm sure some of you out there have that you know people with those problems when they eat fiber and it doesn't even have to be a lot but when they eat fiber um, it, it causes pain it causes inflammation and we can look at gluten so a lot of people think that gluten is simply a a problem that some people have but and, and most people don't have a problem with gluten but the research is showing that all gluten at some level is inflammatory to the bowels so you know we eat a lot of these you know cakes and pies and uh, carbohydrate rich foods that are full of gluten and you may not think you're having a problem with them but they, they do cause some level of inflammation in the intestinal wall which then can cause to systemic inflammation and all kinds of other problems and I'm sorry to go off on these <laughs> topics but it's just interesting to think about because it is uh, looking at nature looking at our physiology and looking at our sense of taste and how these are impacted and how we need to use our mind uh, to look at these things logically and so I'll kind of finish up here on this specific topic but um, if you've ever heard of the Salisbury steak um, some people have some people haven't the Salisbury steak is uh, kind of like uh, minced meat or crushed or, or, or pulverized meat or like a hamburger steak that kind of thing with some uh, sauce or gravy or something on it to kind of uh, make it softer and the Salisbury steak was invented by a doctor I did not know this his name was Dr. Salisbury and that's where this comes from and he invented it in the 1980s because he was treating patients with uh, severe uh, Crohn's disease IBS uh, inflammatory bowel problems and he found that ground beef with a light sauce was the most digestible and healing and nutrient dense food to help heal, heal these patients and even today when if you are in the hospital so I've, I've worked in, in the hospital to some extent, but we would have patients come in with uh, severe IBS or Crohn's flare-up, 
Crohn's disease flare-ups. And what the doctors or, or providers will do is they put them on a, uh, um, a what do they call it, a low low residue diet. And what low a low residue diet means is no fiber. So all of they all they are eating is like really gentle soups and stews, uh, meats. Um, it's basically pr proteins and fats and liquids. So they don't want residue. They don't want fiber because when you think about what fiber is doing, it's it's an undigestible material. Cows can digest fiber. They break it down. They have four stomachs and long intestines. Humans cannot digest fiber. And what it does is it's a solid that goes through the intestines and it's literally scraping the walls of the intestines causing irritation. So people with Crohn's disease and IBS, they don't need that because their walls of their intestines are already super inflamed. So by eating a low residue diet, which is mostly meat, this is giving their intestinal wall the protein and the fat that it needs and to heal. And these foods are low inflammation and they allow the wall to heal and they decrease the inflammation causing fiber to help them heal again. So if we think about, you know, do you like to eat raw vegetables? So some people do, and I used to, um, but they always taste kind of bland. So there's a reason for that. If we look at our sense of taste telling us what we should be eating, um, you know, a lot of raw vegetables, so we can think like raw cauliflower, raw um, celery kind of is different, but it has a different flavor to it. But, you know, um, broccoli, kale, you know, all of these things that are being promoted as like these super nutrient foods, they're mostly fiber. And they really, when you look at it based on the a percentage of the volume of food, you don't get a lot of the nutrients that you're eating in these foods because there's so much fiber that it just pushes it all through and you don't digest it. So, you know, our body is telling us something when, when something does not necessarily have a good taste or doesn't sound appealing. Um, you know, most people have this logic of when they eat a meal, they're, they're going to, quote, eat healthy. So I'm going to eat my salad first. Well, if, if you, if that was enjoyable to you, you would not feel the need to force yourself to do that. You wouldn't have to trick yourself and say, well, I'm going to eat the salad before I eat the steak because I'm told that's what's healthy for me. So I need to do that and not eat as much as the steak, you know, or whatever it is, whatever other things you have on your plate that are healthy. But, you know, if you think about a steak with some butter on it, so which one sounds, you know, initially more appealing? A steak with some butter or, you know, some vegetable greens with some broccoli and cauliflower on top by itself? No dressing, you know, no cheese. Those things have fat in them. They have protein in them. So just the vegetables themselves, which one sounds more appealing? And some of you may think, you know, yeah, I like the vegetables. That's what I want. But is that truly how deep inside you feel or... It, because if you think about the sense of taste, it can be conditioned. It can be uh, trained or conditioned culturally. So if we're told that we should like a salad, if we're told that we should like, you know, raw vegetables, then over time we can get conditioned to think that that's what we should be eating. But if we go by just taste, you know, typically high-fat, high-protein foods have a better taste than just vegetables. Again, we're excluding sugary, carbohydrate-rich foods because, you know, that, that, that's like cocaine for your brain. Yeah, it's going to taste good to pretty much everyone. So we can kind of exclude those and just our basic, you know, day-to-day -day diet. So, you know, if we look at the things we should be consuming logically, um, 
not based on taste specifically, uh, but preferential taste and nutrients. Um, you know, we can throw out things like pastas, cereals, chips, cookies, you know, any of that stuff. It tastes good. Of course it tastes good. Um, it was designed in a lab to purposely taste good, you know. Um, but it's not really food. So even if you don't want to, you know, take heed to anything I'm talking about here, you know, just at least think about cutting out man-made stuff that's made in a lab or a factory. That's that, that stuff is not really food. You know, I was listening to a podcast one day and they were talking about all this kind of stuff and they had a I think they I don't know if they're a vegan or vegetarian and they were talking about you know yeah I, I like vegetables and fruits but you know I like Oreo cookies too and they're vegan and it's like what are you talking about and so if you think about it yeah Oreo cookies are vegan because they don't have any animal products in them or um, you know a lot of people would not consider uh, like a piece of cake Veg, like vegetarian, but everything in a piece of cake or a cookie or a pie or any of that stuff, it's all plants. And you may not think of it as plants, but if you think of flour, uh, sugar, salt, you know, all that stuff, it, a piece of cake is primarily made of plants. So it's just changed and manipulated and concentrated and it's not a natural plant product. So, you know, yes, go by taste. But also use your apply your druidry to it. Think about where it comes from. Think about what it's doing to your body. How is it helping you to heal? How is it helping you to grow? Um, how is it affecting the environment? You know, think about what your ancestors ate. Um, they were limited in their choices, of course. They didn't have grocery stores. Um, you know, but what's most beneficial to your body? You know, get into science. Get into understanding how your body works and heals and repairs itself. What causes inflammation? What does not cause inflammation? You know, and everyone's different. So everyone is going to respond different and have different needs. But if you pay attention to your body and listen to it and do some research, you can come up with something that works for you and not just be kind of culturally and societally uh, ingrained or, you know, taught to consume a certain diet because, you know, that's what the people recommend. So talking about taste, that's where this comes into play as well. Think about all the, quote, healthy foods that you may be interested in and want to eat. You know, which ones taste good to you and, and try to do that. You, you, we, we're here and we want to enjoy using our senses to experience the world, but we also want to make sure that we're making good decisions. So again, in Druidry, it may be difficult to kind of connect our sense of taste to nature. But as you can see, everything that we eat has a taste. Everything we eat has a flavor. Um, you know, and with being aware of what you're doing and thinking about what you're doing, you can also be cautious and experiment of tasting things in nature, out in the wild. And, and however, you use, however you use your sense of taste, you know, really think about inter how you're interacting with the world and try to bring some depth and connection to it between yourself and nature. You know, when you eat, you can look at your food and you can you can see the elements in it. You can see the sun and the rain and the earth and the air. Um, you know, with any food, you can think about the components that it's made of and where did it come from and how was it how was it made and what's the natural elements in here. You know, you can have gratitude for what you're eating rather than just going by taste alone and you know feeding that that dopamine trigger and and you know eating 
thinking about what you're eating and being conscious about it rather than just just doing it because it feels good. So I'm sorry if this kind of sounded weird and or offended anyone, but um, it really does tie into our sense of taste because we're humans and we eat multiple times a day. But it's it's a sense that we ta- again we take for granted and we don't really think about that much. And there's so much involved in it from the science behind it to politics to cultures even pockets of cultures within the country that you live in you know so so I say all this because it does tie into it and I'm just throwing it out there for you to maybe have an idea of some things that you haven't thought about or maybe you haven't considered Um, and I'm just trying to look at it from the perspective of the lens of a druid so I hope this has been helpful Um, I'm hopefully it didn't offend anyone (laughs) Um, but thank you very much for listening Thank you so much for joining in at the Druid's Grove. I thoroughly enjoyed sharing this time and information with you. I hope you learned something and are inspired to build a connection to the earth and the world around you. If you liked what was shared, please feel free to give back at Buy Me a Coffee. Join me on Substack, where I have transcripts, or listen on YouTube, and find the group on social media. For more information, check the show notes. I'll see you in the Grove. Until next time.